This is God's word. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave in the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. 11.1 When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a human being the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray a moment. God of grace, last night for about 10 minutes, drops of water fell out of the sky and there was some thunder and the drops fell on the dusty ground of my backyard. And some of us this morning are in a spiritual drought. Some of us are in a time of desert or wilderness. Others of us have tasted your water, maybe are intrigued by it for the first time. Others of us maybe have been overwhelmed by the overflow of your grace for the first time. Wherever we find ourselves, we're all thirsty this morning. Some of us don't even know it. 
that the stuff we're drinking isn't doing the job. And so as we listen for your voice now, we ask that we hear uh, words that ring true in our hearts from this story, from this book. A book that says, yeah, we are all more thirsty for grace. We're all more broken and in a desert place than we realize. And yet you bring water, living water, eagerly, sometimes aggressively into our lives even when we're running away from you in the desert. We're intentionally seeking out desert places, running away from you, and you seek us out. And then you take on the cost of reconnecting with us. That's the story of your scripture, that your son enters in to the hurt, the pain, the thirst, gives himself in our place to connect us with your grace. Will you teach us through that grace now? In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're talking about love. Love happens in surprising places sometimes. I was listening to Radio Lab and I heard this story uh, about uh, in the 1965, a, a man who had a lot of money named John C. Lilly uh, set up these experiments for dolphin speech. Can dolphins learn to speak English? Um, and so this woman named Margaret Howe ends up being the person who lives with a dolphin uh, for months on end in a, in a house that's half submerged with salt water, like up to her legs, somewhere knees, kind of 18 inches. So she's living, it's, it's like the dolphin can swim around, she can walk around, and they spend day and night together, and she is recording everything and talking to the dolphin and trying to do all these exercises in addition to playing and just building this kind of relationship. And it's interesting that uh, one of the cool things about this story, they both start to exhibit uh, signs that you would see in uh, a, maybe a relationship of love or of family. So it, she, t she describes that there was this one thing that would happen, the dolphin would would do this, this act that felt like an act of love and connection. She said it was almost like a little kid comes and just wants to hold your hand. He would just sink to the bottom and just close his eyes and grab my foot. And then, like he'd grab it with his, his teeth softly. And then he'd have to come up and breathe. And he'd do that and then he'd sink right back down again and grab my foot. She says he would do this for a good while. And if you've ever heard the show Radio Lab, of course they pl then play the audio of that, which is which is really enthralling. Just to basically to just hear a blowhole, just and then nothing. But you know you've just heard what's happening, right? And then to hear and then to hear it again, come up and then go back down, and you're just just imagining this dolphin doing this. It's pretty touching. And it kind of goes both ways because she describes, so not only is the dolphin kind of feeling this, the, the love, but at the end of her diary, she admits that Peter, the dolphin, Peter's attentiveness helped her overcome her depression and her fits of self-pity. So, you know, you kind of think, oh, it's touching. Love in surprising places, right? And uh, this morning, we deal with a passage in scripture that is not about dolphins or interspecies connection, <laughs> but it's 
It's more, it's more surprising. It's more shocking. It's one of the most shocking images in the entire Bible, in my opinion. And it's about marriage. Well, it's, kind of, it's not about marriage. This thing about Hosea and the wife that he marries, her name, it wasn't in this passage, that, the part that we read, but her name is Gomer. This is a story that is, kind of uses marriage, but it's actually not about marriage. It's not to walk away with lessons about marriage, although I have used this image in uh, my wedding talks, you know, when the bride gives me six and a half minutes to say something, you know, that the kind of pastor type thing that a, that a minister can bring. And so, you know, I, I've often used this mes- message, not always, but I've often used just a little image of God's love that comes out of this book. Because it, and I, what I say is basically, if you're connected to a love like there is in this image, the love of God, you'll have reserves on hand to bring towards any relationship, but particularly on those kind of days I'm talking about wedding uh, marriages. So your mind might take today's message towards marriage. That's fine, of course, but that's not the main meat and potatoes of this. In fact, um, I think we're supposed to look at it and go, this is a hyperbole. This is a caricature. This would never happen on, the, on human plane that someone would, now this is the big idea, right, of this book, that someone would intentionally marry a promiscuous prostitute and then just keep trying to win her back as she continues to be unfaithful. It's intentionally supposed to feel like it's out of this world, it's ridiculous, it's so extreme, no one would ever do that. Exactly. That's how huge and extreme God's love for us is. So, Hosea is told at the beginning of the book that bears his name, he's told very simply, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So uh, Hosea is one of the lucky prophets who gets to act out a message from God. He, you could call him the most unlucky prophet, right? And not only does he have all the other things of having a message that people don't want to hear, but he has to do that through getting into this relationship that God is telling him to get into. Um, but this is something that often happens in the Old Testament. You'll see God giving a prophet something to act out, right? Because we're not only are we people that hear words, but we're people that see uh, you know, metaphors and we need, we need illustrations. So this is a human illustration of God's love. And the surprising part is not what you think. There's surprising love here, but... Our mind immediately goes, well, yeah, all people of all times would get that this is, this is um, really surprising that he, would, that he would do this. The surprise is not that he's, um, he's getting married to someone who is, um, maybe has a stigma, a reputation, or she's of a lower class than him, things like that. that that's surprising. It's definitely surprising. Um, but the surprise is at a totally different, deeper level, the surprise is this, that she's, as the story goes, she's a sex addict. And he is present to love her 
through the sex addiction. And so you go, okay, what's what's the addiction standing for? Because it's a metaphor, remember? It's a picture. It's an illustration. The addiction is idolatry. The addiction is idolatry. So a lot of the book goes into this. I find it helpful actually to flip to a different book and just highlight a really vivid picture of this from Ezekiel chapter 16. The heading of that in a lot of Bibles is, uh, including the one here, is uh, Jerusalem as an adulterous wife. So let me just highlight the bullet points of that passage just to give us, get us into the story. It's the same kind of kind of visuals that you're getting actually in Hosea, but I just kind of feel like adding the color of Ezekiel 16 is helpful to see what God's trying to say here. So it's idolatry, and this is how he goes about describing it. He says, Israel's like a baby that was born, a female infant that was born and undesired because that was practiced in the ancient world where she was thrown out. And so it's a pretty graphic description of this baby lying in its mother's blood. And, I, and God says, I come along and I scoop her up and I clothe her and I begin to care for her and raise her and feed her and pour money into her well-being. And so this is how God's relationship is with us, with ancient Israel. And then he says, he comes along one day and he sees that she has now grown up into be, to be a woman. And... So rather than now just being benefactor, the language switches a little bit. Maybe in today's world, this is scandalous a little bit. Suddenly he says, and so I saw you, you were old, you were, you were mature, you were a woman, and I made sacred vows with you. So he takes her to be his wife. Again, remember, this is uh, God and us and Israel. And he says, and then it gets a little uncomfortable, which is, I think, being honest about this illustration. The language gets... Uh, kind of uncomfortably suggest, suggestive. And so basically it's like, look, I can't even say it. I'm getting, I mean, I feel a little hot in here, you know. Because the language starts to get like, okay, I, I made a sacred vow to you. And yada, yada, yada. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're, my, you're my wife. It, it, you know, this, so this is the Bible. And then it says, and then it says, and you became like a queen, and you were dressed in the finest garments, and I fed you the finest foods, but you used, and you were beautiful, but you began to use your beauty to make money. You began to go towards prostitution. Again, now, so, so we're operating in sort of like the illustration, but what does it mean? And of course, we're looking at idolatry. So you began to use your, towards this addiction. And then he says, and it got to the point, um, it got to the point where, in verse 25, he says, At every street corner you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty, spreading your legs with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. See, it's getting a little hot in here. It's cold. And that's how God's talking about his relationship with his people. He goes on to say, And then you stop charging for sex. And then he says, and then you started paying for it. So it's this like spiral of addiction. It's the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Idolatry. You might not, you know, you might not yesterday if let's say your washing machine leaked all over the floor and ruined your flooring and you realize it got to the subflooring, you know, you might not cry out and go, which God did I not, you know, make happy up there? 
So you might not have that sort of ancient worldview, but all of us are walking around with substantial God replacements at work in our lives. And that's what idolatry is all about. We're all good at some form of idolatry. Basically, whole sections of our lives are dominated by a sentence that would go something like, oh, oh no, what happens if, and then finish the sentence, oh no, what happens if my kid gets into the wrong school or doesn't get into the right school or doesn't get the teacher I wanted her to have? Oh no, what if I don't get the job that I think I need with the benefits I think I need? Oh no, what if she does better than me? Oh no, what if I don't plan perfectly? Oh no, what if I can't live the lifestyle in my retirement that I had been hoping and dreaming and planning to live? Oh no, what if I'm not respected and admired? Is it, can you see maybe a little bit how addiction language might get into sort of the spiritual addiction and idolatry? We get really addicted to putting our hopes and dreams in things. And we don't even realize that we have God-sized spaces that we're trying to cram little, little mini things into and see if they'll fill it. And then we wonder why we're so frustrated or stressed or sad or unhappy or not experiencing God in a tangible way. A lot of it's this sort of idolatry. And Gomer, Hosea's wife, her sex addiction is all about there's hope today for our addiction to end. For those things, you know, those idolatry things. Oh no, what happens if there's hope for that voice to be quieted and stilled in your heart, the rumbling of that voice. Your heart doesn't have to be chained to people's approval. That can end. Your bank account doesn't have to be enslaved to your retirement goals. Your, um, you don't have to be obsessed with how your kid turns out. You don't have to kill yourself if you come in second you know, in graduate school or in your family, you can actually stop making every decision based on fear of letting people down. You can actually plan your life out a little less and your life will actually still happen. It's funny how that works. Why? Why? Okay, so you say, yeah, I'd like that, Mark, but how do I know? How can I be so sure? How can I, how can I really give up on those little internal messages that are trying to fill a God-sized hole in my life. Well, according to this story, it's because of God's absolutely surprising love. His absolutely surprising love because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like the dolphin. He doesn't sink down like I started this message with. Sink down, give you a little tender thing and then go back. It's not, it's not this little dolphin hand-holding type thing. It's a deeper surprising kind of love. We see it in this story. Just a few, few phrases that actually clue us into something very powerful. That Gomer, this promiscuous wife, is utterly owned and crushed by her idolatry. Utterly owned and crushed by her addiction. And Hosea, in that moment, 
purchases her. Did you catch that? Um, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And I told her, you are to live with me many days. And you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. She was uh, for sale, apparently, in a different kind of way now. She had hit rock bottom, and her idolatry had crushed her and imprisoned her. She was a slave. She could only be bought back. Someone owned her. And um, I think it's interesting to think about that, how that's, that's what's true here. Because he spends the price that you would spend, the common price in these days, to buy a slave. That's the price. She's a slave. It's interesting to think, could it be possible to view those voices that dominate in your life as something that you, if you're really honest, you're kind of enslaved to. They kind of got a grip on you. And you're not really, you know, you're not really sure how to peel off the grip and release yourself from it. Sometimes we don't even know where to start with that. So So Hosea comes up and he just buys her back. She's just free from the grip of that. See, we might sit around and go, ah, I don't know how to get out of the grip of this. In this story, it's kind of basic. Hosea, representing God, with all of our idolatry in our lives, coming up and just saying, I bought you out of that. You actually don't live in that anymore. You, that's not your identity anymore. I have purchased you out. You are a bride who I have come to you and bought you back and said, let's return home the way you're supposed to live and let me get best, the best clothes for you and let me put a wedding dress back on you and have you walk and turn that corner again and I'll be the groom and you'll be the bride and I'll stand up and I'll see you come around and you'll look beautiful to me. God clothes us. He purchases us to clothe us with his righteousness. That's a New Testament Jesus kind of way of talking, that we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ as he went and purchased us on the cross. So that we're just, the grip is just unlocked and we can just step out of it and enter in. If we, if we keep looking at this, the, at this purchase that he has done, we kind of have to fix our eyes on it and say, yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. There's a new reality. I'm living in it. And we'll fall right back out of it if it's not kind of constantly before us, right? Constantly we have to remember, that's my new identity. That's who I am. You know, the job, it's nothing compared to this new identity. I've been bought. My whole life has been bought. I have everything I need. The worries, the stresses, the achievement, right? My, my, sing, my singleness and my relationship needs. It's okay, I've been bought. Where, where's all this anxiety coming from? My money stress, my job stress, my school stress. I've been bought. Even even those of you tough guys out there, you're you're a bride wearing a dress walking down an aisle. Sorry, that's the New Testament picture. And God loves you. And God loves you. And you know what's cool about this? (laughs) You know what's cool about this is we often wonder, or some of our self-talk has to do with uh, how does God view me, and am I really uh, 
you know, do I really earn his approval? Does he really view me positively? And this is where it's absolutely clear that in Christ, through what Jesus has done, definitively, he views you with that kind of, as a bride dressed perfectly coming down the aisle to meet him. He has made it happen that you're dressed like that. He has made it happen that you are that good to him. It's not you. It's not what you do. It's what he does. That's what we call the gospel. It's good news. And it just shifts your whole outlook the more you have it in front of you looking at it. And so um, this isn't Pretty Woman. Remember that movie? Pretty Woman? This isn't that. that that's, that's a North American romantic version of this same story because that's, I don't, I don't know if you remember that movie, you know, this romantic comedy genre kind of centerpiece. Beautiful, well-meaning woman who ends up in prostitution. And she's, she's, of course, super beautiful and super smart. And so this, this guy who doesn't really intend to hire her ends up hiring her just to be a date. And then, of course, they fall in love. And he's a knight in shining armor. And they have the sparks fly. And they're made for each other. And they click. You know, this is, a, this is our romantic language that we have in our world today. And we say that's the most powerful thing. I can imagine the most powerful love. That's great. And our story today is nothing like that because she's not attractive and she thinks he's the most naive schmuck in the world who is this idiot oh yeah okay let's get married sure i'll run my prostitution business under your roof for a couple of months you seem naive enough that i could get away with that and then i'll move on and you know what happens in there you know how we learn about god's love through that is it in the book of hosea this is how it's portrayed she's at the house and so this is like israel and this is like us we're at the house of another lover committing adultery. And, that, and now we're living under someone else's roof and it's kind of maybe an abusive relationship where we're not really getting fed, you know, and we're not getting clothed properly. And you know what Hosea does? He, he goes, and this is God, he goes to the door of that house and knocks and leaves clothing and food and then goes away. This is the shocker of this story. Not, oh, there was a class difference, but they overcame it and fell in love. No, this is, this is someone running away in pure addiction, never interested, thinking God is so naive and so old-fashioned and what a schmuck and going your own way. And the, the big message is God walks along with you and pursues you all the way along through your addiction, all the way to the very end where you're owned and crushed by your idols. He follows you all the way to the very end, even sustaining you along the way as you are making the biggest mistakes of your life. He's there, dropping what you need off at your door. You don't know it's from him. You don't know that's coming from him. This is a fascinating picture. This is not a simplistic image of God. This takes like a few extra brain cells for me to compute and work out. But it ends with this stunning word, trembling. Several times in here, the Israelites, so we, we kind of saw it in, in chapter 3. It said, um, it said, chapter 3, verse 5, at the end it says, they will come trembling to the Lord into his blessings in the last days. And in chapter 11, again, that word comes, they will follow the Lord he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. 
Um, sometimes people come here on Sunday mornings and you're in a place where you're really broken and you, and you might feel kind of crushed and at, an, at an end of your rope. And then I find when we're in that kind of place, we're extra open and sensitive that God has followed us through our mess all the way to the end. And it's kind of easy to get in touch with this idea of trembling. It's a positive trembling. It's like awe. It's like you, your heart is tenderized towards God. It's like suddenly you're, you're, you're legitimately stunned that he's still right there smiling on you and loving you. And suddenly you're looking around going, God is loving me. And you're just sort of in this awe of that. That's, you're trembling and letting him lead you home. And some of us are so fixed in our you know, kind of our idolatry patterns and the things we're actually serving instead of serving this loving God that we're pretty far from being in that awe, trembling place and God feels very far from us. And so um, all I can do really is leave this image out there and say there's a love. I mean, this is not North American romance where, oh, God overcomes and kind of clicks with us. No, this is so much deeper. This is so harder to grasp. So huger. Is that a word? So bigger. Is that a word? Um, I'll finish with this. Just know this. Take note. God's love is not held back because of your attractiveness or lack thereof or because you've done enough. And he's here right now ready to enter in and replace your flimsy little idols that are going to crush you. They're going to crush you. They're going to own you. So live in awe, break free from your spiritual addiction and let him purchase you and clothe you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, what a powerful image. Please use it to speak to us. Let the chatter of this message in our own individual hearts begin to walk with us and, and put some flesh on the bones and the skeleton of this message for us personally. Help us to chew on it and talk about it with others. And may your Holy Spirit use all of this, the community here, your scripture, and your Holy Spirit to work powerfully to unlock the freedom we have in you now because of what your son has done. Walk with us as we um, experience and witness um, breaking bread, another image of your love. And as we move towards that in this time, amen.